Well, this morning, week two of Hooked on Love. Last week, of course, was week one of Hooked on Love, but most of you weren't here because it was Labor Day. Just a gentle judge there. But we talked last week as a backdrop, even though we're pointing to Song of Solomon and we're anchored there in that uh, great part of Scripture, we, we put as a backdrop Romans 12, 1, just a phrase on the screen last week as we began. The phrase that says, do not be conformed to this world. And we, at the end of the service, we came back to that, and I, back to this, and I asked the church, I asked you guys, if who knows the rest of that verse? Someone over here said, do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And I said, if somebody knows the very end of it, I'll take you to lunch after church. And there was a guy on the second row who said, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of their mind that you may prove what is a good, acceptable, perfect will of God. It was his second time at Fondren Church, and there won't be a third. But anyway, we went to lunch. Just kidding. He's back today. Isn't that great? And this guy knew the verse, and uh, I took him to lunch, and he paid for the lunch, just like we promised uh, on stage. But why did we say, when it comes to relationships, why do we say from the get-go, that's a beautiful southern expression, from the get-go we say, do not be conformed to the world. We say it because we are too often conformed to the way of the world. And no arena, no area more than this area of relationships. We said there's a formula, Hollywood dishes it out to us and we buy it. Uh, people that are hooked on love, we buy it hook, line, and sinker. The threefold formula is this. Find, fall, and fixate. Find the right person because they're out there. You just need to find them and then fall for them. Experts tell us, relationship experts, psychologists and sociologists tell us that that infatuation, that intense emotion, it lasts maximum 6 to 18 months. And it wears off. But we tend to think, oh, the feeling is fading. Love has died. Find, fall, and fixate. Hold their hand and look at them. Gaze upon them. And they are going to be your sole source of happiness. They are going to end your loneliness and ensure that you won't be broken ever again. Step four, if you fail, I should say when you fail, the world's formula, repeat steps one, two, and three. And we offered a different formula flowing from Ephesians 5, chapters 1 and 2 that says... Be imitators of Christ. Become like Christ. Who are you becoming? There's an invitation to become like Christ and to walk in his love. So instead of finding and falling, you become and you walk in love. It's not so much falling in love as it is walking in love. Now, how many of you have fallen in love? Okay. Sometimes it's afraid. You were afraid or ashamed to admit this in church. I've fallen in love a few times and one of them is lasting. But it's a great feeling, isn't it, when you fall? But greater, greater than that is walking and growing and staying in love. And so last week I looked at our church and I, of course we're thinking of young people and a lot that we're preaching is preventative if you're young. And for many of us uh, in the 30s and 40s and beyond, it is in some ways painful. Why? Because we've lived. And those of you in that age, single or married, you and I, we still have a lot to learn. And also we can help our kids. Okay? Give me, a, give me a real subtle nod if you're here and you're a parent, like you're listening to help your kids, like you want to help your kids navigate. So I want to say to you, listen, listen, I want to say to you this morning what I said to you last week, we are dominated by this idea of love and relationships, but so many of us don't have a clue. But here's what's great. As we look at some songs in the Song of Solomon over these weeks, including this morning, it's in a section of scripture called Wisdom Literature. 
And in Proverbs chapter 30, verses 18 and 19, here's what this man says. He says, there are three things that are too amazing to me. Four things that I really cannot understand. The way of an eagle in flight. The way a snake slithers on the rock. The way a ship sails across the sea. And the way of a man with a young woman. Even in wisdom literature, it's saying to us that this thing, this thing of love, is a mystery. That It is fraught with peril and with difficulty. So, to our young people, I'm saying to you, I'm saying to you, get godly counsel. In studying for this series, I was reading the other day Genesis chapter 24. And in Genesis 24, a lot of you know this. Let me say this before I talk about Genesis 24 quickly. But it, there's no real example of dating in the Bible. You guys get that, right? I mean, you've heard that. There are biblical principles that you can apply to dating and relating. But no direct like this because it just wasn't a dating culture. But in Genesis 24, you see the connection between Rebecca and Isaac. And it struck me as I read it again and again over this past few weeks of how involved their families were. Now, in that culture, it was an extreme culture of arranged marriages. Okay, now those two words, arranged marriages. There's a different vibe in the room for different people. How many of you want to go back to arranged marriages? When I was a kid, a teenager, young adult, no way. Now that I'm a, a dad with a few kids, amen, bring it back. Like, let's go old school and let's arrange these marriages. Well, that's what they did. But here's the thing. We have gone to an extreme, and I'm not being extreme saying that. You go from an arranged marriage culture to a culture where people are not getting married much in their 20s. Remember, I dropped some statistics on you last week. If you didn't hear, go back and listen. But look, most people are not getting married in their 20s anymore. And the average, the typical relationship, you know, someone brings somebody home and they're already really far along in the relationship. They're infatuated. They're in love. The sparks are there. And they say, look, mom and dad, here's so-and-so. And then they may have a sidebar conversation where a parent will say, well, I want you happy. And if you're happy with, then I just want you to be happy. And this is, think about it, this is like the most important decision that a person Will make. I was taught in college by Bill Bright, the late great founder of Campus Crusade for Christ, that there are three decisions that you'll make, three important decisions, your master, your mission, and your mate. And this is a big decision, but look at us. We just trust our heart. We trust our heart, but we need, are you watching and listening, young people? We need godly counsel. In fact, don't connect with somebody. Don't date seriously or marry somebody who themselves aren't getting godly counsel you see that in rebecca and isaac in the story in genesis 24 do you remember lord of the flies this group of schoolboys, british schoolboys, their plane is flying over the pacific it crashes there are survivors but it's just these boys left on this deserted island to fend for themselves they are alone and without adult supervision and it becomes lord of the flies there's nobody older and there's nobody wiser. And listen to me what the Bible says. The older I get, the more I appreciate it. The glory of a young man is his strength. The splendor of an old man is his gray hair. I wish I had gray hair. But anyway, like that means a lot to me. And what that translation, the Robert Greene translation is this. Hey, you, you need some old guys around. You don't think that's true, but you need some old guys around. And Titus 2 would tell us that we need some old women to minister to young women. We need some older men to minister to younger women. There is wisdom there. And when you're young and in love, look, it, dating and relating is so exhilarating and so confusing and so important that you need wise people 
to speak into it. Do not trust your heart alone. A friend of mine was at a restaurant. He and his wife had a corner booth. Their daughter is a waitress at the restaurant. They began to notice that a, a man 15 to 18 years older than her was flirting with her. And he began to make uh, suggestive comments, uh, undressing her with his eyes and saying things. And he even asked for her phone number. And she had taken enough and she said to him as she pointed to her father, she said, you see that man over there? We have the same phone number. If you want to talk to me, you check with him. I think it's sort of God's heart that everybody, particularly every young woman, would have an older person, even an older man, who would say, hey, you want to get with me? You check with him. Several weeks ago, our daughter, who's becoming a lovely young woman in her own right, she, she was talking to her mom, and I noticed there was some drama, mother-daughter drama from the next room, and I, of course, know that the goal and God's will is to stay out of it, right? Just stay out of it. You can call it passivity. I call it brilliant. But just stay out of it. But Haley decided that she wasn't getting her way, so she would come to go through the appellate process, okay, that she would go to what she would consider the highest court. It's not really. Susan is the Supreme Court at our house. But Haley took it to me, and she said, hey, can so-and-so, these three friends, come by and pick me up? Well, I knew the girl. I didn't know the guys. Well, we're just going to go right around and go to Kiefer's late Sunday afternoon. Her mama had said no. And I uh, said, well, who are these guys? And she began to tell me. I'm like, well, let me look them up. I got my phone, started checking Instagram. And, and, uh, she, and I said, well, I need to meet them. I need, I need to get to know who they are. And she said, you mean you'd walk out to the car and talk to them? I said, oh, no, no. They would come inside, and I would ask them a whole lot of questions. You're still not going to get to go, right? But I'm, I'm just going to ask them a whole lot of questions. Well, hear, hear me for a second. My daughter had this little grin on her pretty face. And even though she didn't like to hear no, I'm telling you, there's something in the heart of every... Listen, parents, your job is not done. There's something in the heart of every young person that says, love me and protect me and be there for me. So when someone wants to do that, it's going to be like Navy SEAL training time 10, right? I mean, that day will come, but not any not anytime soon. Listen, we need older wiser counsel uh, in our lives. Song of Solomon. I'd love for you to turn there if you don't want to. It'll be up on the screen, these verses that we look at. It's in the middle of the Bible. It's, if you go to Psalms and Proverbs and then Ecclesiastes, then you'll see the Song of Solomon. It's called Song of Solomon, Song of Songs. Isn't that cool though? Song of Songs because when Cupid's arrow hits you in the heart, you want to sing a song. When um, I was in love as a young adult, in college, there was a song by Bon Jovi, I'll be there for you. These five words I swear to you. Isn't that a great song? That's, that's an 80s power ballad, which gets no better than that. Like there's going to be 80s power ballads in heaven, I think. Bon Jovi, I'll be there for you. These five words I swear to you. That's a great song. And it's kind of sad when you think about it, because how many of us have heard it? I'll be there for you. I swear to you. And the subsequent pain of it all. Song of Solomon, Song of Songs. It's also known uh, throughout history as the sealed book of the Bible. Young Jewish males were not allowed to read it. Why? Because it's poetry. It's full of flowery imagery and symbolism. It's also passionate and intimate and very sensual. 
You may have grown up in a church where Song of Solomon was largely avoided or was painted over with a brush that said, oh, this is about God and Israel or Christ and the church. And there's some of that in there. But look, this is a man and a woman in love. And they are moving. We see them. It's sort of like picture a couple. It's a collection of anthems about their marriage. Picture a couple looking, flipping through Instagram photos and saying things like, oh, this is when we met. This is when we first fell in love. This is when we married. This is when we had our first fight. This is when we made up when we had our first fight. And that's what... That's what you have in here. Picture, if you will, drawing a picture of the way Solomon describes the woman. He describes her. This is where, you know, for them, it was awesome. For us, it just seems odd. But he, he described her as like she has eyes like doves and hair like a flock of goats and teeth like a flock of sheep. And her nose is like the Tower of Babylon. Could you imagine drawing that woman? That's a woman you would not want to bump into in a dark alley. You know what I'm saying? So it is not, here we go, remember the meaning of the Bible series? It's not literal. There is some literary understanding there. Odd to us, but awesome to her, okay? If you told a woman that in those days, that would seem cool because she, she would get it. It was just a different culture. And so into this, there are these songs. And there are three different perspectives. If you have a good study Bible, now or later, you'll see probably most study Bibles have it sectioned. And you'll see he, she, and they are some type of um, delineation. He is Solomon. She, here's the word, the Shulamite. She's referred to in chapter 6 and verse 13. The Shulamite is the uh, Hebrew feminine counterpart for Solomon. So you have he, and he's doing some talking. You have she, you know she's talking. And then you have they, and they are the daughters of Jerusalem, the daughters of Jerusalem, that's her crew. That's the girls that she does Pilates with on Thursday and brunch with. And those are like the girls that she hangs out with. And sometimes they are talking to her or she is referring to them. So in the Song of Solomons, let's begin in chapter 1 and we'll read verses 2 and 3. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is better than wine. Your anointing oils are fragrant. Your name is oil poured out. Therefore, virgins love you. Now, there is a lot to be misunderstood about this that's just funny and odd to us. But I want to point to you the two things that, that she is saying here. She is talking to him. And she's saying something that's obvious. You look and smell good. A lot of guys, you missed this, so we're going to retread a little bit. But you weren't here last week, and I told you guys to quit hanging out and start asking out. Put on a shirt with buttons that doesn't say Star Wars and shave and bathe and ask some girls out. And here she's saying, you are taking care of yourself. And I like that. It is good. Thank you for the deodorant and the cologne <laughs> and the mints. Fellas, look, Vince Lombardi, this is a football. Some of you miss the obvious. And here she's saying, you look good. But there's this real curious expression. See it there? Your name is oil poured out. In Hebrew language, your name is your character. We sort of dichotomize. We say, well, you've got character and you've got your reputation. Don't worry about your reputation. Focus on your character. To some extent, that is true because not everybody is meant to love you. Not everybody is going to love you. You know, a lot of people are just using you. Some people genuinely love you. That could change. But here... Jesus, in fact, said in Matthew 23, Woe are you if everybody speaks well of you. If you're going to lead, not everybody's going to like you. But, generally speaking, in the Hebrew language of the wisdom literature, your name 
is your character because how you make choices the person you become is talked about and thought about and there is a consensus there about who you are and she's saying your name is oil poured out now what does that mean in those days to make fragrances they would take olives and they would crush and add pressure if you will to the olives and out of the olives there would they would make oil and oil would be turned into perfume and cologne here's what she's saying She's saying you have proven character. Like your name is good because you've been through something. You've endured some stress. You've gone through some difficulty. And we have seen who you are. Don't ever date seriously. You know, dating has a path, right? Dating leads somewhere. Don't ever go far in a dating relationship unless you know who somebody is through difficulty and stress. Because it's pressure that produces who. It reveals who a person really is it's so true like I think some of you have fallen asleep on me but that's just that's so true in times of stress and she's saying here's a guy hey my guy he has proven character so you look good you're taking care of yourself you smell good I'm gonna draw closer to you but deeper than that it's character and listen to me put character at the top put it at the very top years ago someone came to us and said, man, I'm dating a guy. We were so happy for her because she hadn't been dating. Dating and marriage is not the answer. It is not the answer. But she was so excited. So we were excited for her. And she just kept saying, he's hot, man. He's, hot. he's a hot guy. And she went with him on like their 30th date. Maybe not even that. But she went to an intramural church softball game. And he got into an angry altercation with the umpire that spilled over to the parking lot. And on the way home, she saw what I would consider to be, as I understand the story, severe road rage. And it was the first time she had really seen him in a stressful situation. Today's red flags likely will mean tomorrow's red alert. Put character at the top. Because hot people can hurt people over and over again. They can bring untold pain and heartache. So it's good if they look good. And it's good when you can pull someone close and they look good and smell good and bathe and shave and take care of themselves. I mean, she's looking at this guy going, hey, thank you for giving me two eyebrows to look at, not one. Like you are taking, you're grooming yourself. But hey, your name is oil poured out. There is a fragrance, there is a cologne, and it is good because you, you have proven, are proving to have good character here we see look at the next couple of verses verse 4 draw me after you let us run the king has brought me into his chambers we will exalt and rejoice in you we will extol your love more than wine rightly do they love you she's saying she's saying that other people notice you other people think a lot of you She's speaking to a man's deepest needs by saying, you are respected. If you don't know it, if this is your first time to hear this man, lock into this. If it's just you're being instructed as a reminder, lock into this. There's a bunch of men in the room. And our deepest need is to be respected. It means a ton for a man to know that people speak well of him. That people will call on him. And appreciate his strength if he's a young man or his wisdom if he's an older man. And women, dial in. You have the reputation of being the moody one. That may or may not be true. But let me say this. A man wakes up in a different world every day. 
a man like a football coach wakes up in a world that in his head he hears this, what have you done for me lately? And it's cool if he's climbed a mountain and explored a sea and killed a bear, wrestled an alligator, whatever the manly thing is. It's cool that he did that yesterday. But he's waking up in a world today wondering if people respect him. And a man is at his worst when he's disrespected and at his best when he's being disrespected. And she's saying, hey, these people are talking. She's respecting him by saying how others respect him. But as cool as it is, let me be tender for a moment. As cool as that is for a man to have the respect of his boss or his best buddies. If he's a married man, he wants and needs it. Needs it from his bride. In 2013, several years ago, I was in the middle of something very difficult. It was directly related to me being the pastor here. Our church was at Dueling Hall, and I'd had a lunch and was walking back to my office. If you know Dueling Hall, there's an interior design place called Joan Hawkins. That's where my office was. And I was walking into the courtyard there, and I looked at my phone, and it was from my wife. She had texted me. As I looked down, she said, I see, I know, and I am proud of you. I know what other people don't know, and I think you've handled this in a godly way. And I'm proud of the man you are. That is huge. That is deep in the heart of a man. The preaching stuff you see and you know, but the pastoring stuff in many ways you don't. And to have her and to have her see and to have her respect me in an hour of darkness was massive healing and help in my life as a leader. A man's deepest need is what? Say it. It's respect. And by, sh- by her saying, hey, these guys love you, she's saying you, you are respected. Look at the next verse. We move to something different to her need, to what a woman needs, okay? Dial in. I'm very dark. Now, when a woman says this today, what's she doing? You know she's bragging. She's been to the beach or the tanning bed. She's bragging on herself. I am very dark but lovely. Oh, daughters of Jerusalem, here's her girls. Like the tents of Keter, like the curtains of Solomon. Do not gaze at me because I'm dark, because the sun has looked upon me. My mother's sons were angry with me. They made me keeper of the vineyards. This is so painful. But my own vineyard I have not kept. Ladies, fellas, when you have a tan, it's a good thing. I don't get tan anymore. I go to the beach or whatever and I turn the same color as a radioactive carrot. Those those days for me are done. I I don't care. I mean, I'm Irish, right? I'm Irish. But for us, most of us in our culture, man, to get a tan. I mean, I see you out there. you we got some tan people and you're beautiful. You know it. But she is saying, this isn't an ethnic thing, it's a class thing. It's a social strata thing. She's saying, I'm not at the country club. She's saying, I'm in the vineyard. Uh, Curious expressions, let me bring some meaning to them. She's saying that, uh, this is. she's basically saying this is the first Cinderella story. Where I come from a broken family, my brothers were very harsh to me. And they made me labor out in the hot sun. And I'm dark. And by saying what she's saying, look... My own vineyard, I'm going to read it again and you tell me what she's saying. But my own vineyard I have not kept. What's she saying? Let's get raw. 
She's saying, I, I don't like my body. And he has the opportunity, and he does. This lover speaks into her deepest need. And he calls out how lovely she is. When a couple, young or mid or whatever, sit in my office and they're about to get married, especially if I'm going to do the wedding, I will look at them and I will say, and some of you have heard this, I will look to her and say, respect him, respect him, respect him. And I'll look to him and I'll say, love her, love her, love her. And I'll say, tell her that every day. Tell her every day that you love her and tell her why you love her. Call her by her name and tell her you love her. I love you because and fill in the blank and do it every single day. Be creative and be genuine. And man, you are watering the garden. You are sowing seeds into the future. And you're giving our world what it needs. Faithfulness and fidelity and love and unity in the midst of all of this. Next verse. He says to her, well, listen, this is, this is, here we have she, we have he, and we have she. So statement, response, statement. I am a rose of Sharon, a lily of the valleys. What is she saying? In the, the plains of Sharon were very lovely. We have a couple of Auburn fans at church today, part of our church family. Auburn is known as the loveliest village on the plains. Well, here's uh, Clemson beat them last night, sorry. Uh, the, the Sharon was a lovely village, and it was full of lilies. And she is saying, okay, guys, here's that deep need a woman has for security. She's saying, I'm just one among many. You see why it damages a woman when your eyes dart when you can't make a covenant with your eyes and you assume because you told her that you loved her in 2009 that it's still true. And she is saying, I'm just one among many. And he says to her, verse 2, as a lily among brambles, so is my love among the young women. What do women do? They compare themselves. Do men do it? Yeah. Yeah. Women compare themselves, and he said, hey, you, you, you're among the women, but, but you, you are special, and you are special to me. And then she responds to him in verse 3, as an apple tree among the trees of the forest, so is my beloved among the young men. With great delight I sit in his shadow, it's about to get hot in here, and his fruit was sweet to my taste. She is saying, I love this, by the way, she changes the metaphor, because what guy in the room wants to be called a lily? So she goes, apples, like guys like apples, right? Like, give me some fruit, give me something good, give me something a little more manly or at least sort of neutral. Don't go lily. She doesn't go lily. She goes apples. And she changes the metaphor. Look, we're different. We're different. A woman will stand in her closet and look at her clothes and say, I don't have anything to wear. And what does she mean? She means I don't have anything new to wear. A man will stand in that closet and say, I don't have anything to wear and what does he mean? I don't have anything clean to wear, right? I mean, we're saying the same thing, but there's a different meaning. And what I love about this couple, way before any gender stuff or biological, neurological science, they just realized they were different and they were learning to communicate as the other. They didn't read five love languages that hadn't been written yet. And here they are just saying, hey, I'm going to move over to you and communicate where you can understand it and so what we see in this passage is playfulness we see playfulness we got out of town several months ago with a few couples in our church and we were at Como you guys know where Como is it's 
not exotic, it's outside of Oxford, but a really cool steakhouse, and we stayed at the inn and just had a good, had a good weekend. And one of our friends uh, opened the weekend in prayer before we cut into a big nasty steak at the Como Steakhouse. And he said, God, thank you for kids and for a weekend away from kids. And I thought, that's a great prayer. And that's what we need to, to continue to play. I'll ask men sometimes, what's the most creative date you ever took your wife on? And 99% of the time, they'll talk about the night that they proposed to her. Keep dating. What we see is this sequence of dating and romance, courtship, and in context of marriage, sexual intimacy. And we see a playfulness here. And we see friendship here. Tim Keller, in his great book, The Meaning of Marriage, says this about uh, husband and wife, about friendships. He says that there's a few components of friends. They have a common cause. They have constancy. And they have transparency. So men, here's an assignment. Men love challenges. So man, here's a, here's a challenge. Live your day tomorrow. Come home, married man, and tell your wife something that happened. And then tell her how you felt. That's so simple. But it's so powerful. Communication experts, some of you study this. Communication experts tell us that there's levels of communication. I think I can recall them. The first is cliche. The second is fact. And then there's, there's opinion. And then there's emotion. And then there's transparency. In cliche, you've shared nothing. Fact, you've shared something that you know. Opinion, you've shared something that you think. Emotion, you've shared something that you feel. But transparency, you've shared who you are. Look at what Proverbs 20 and verse 5 says. For every relationship, and we see it with the Shulamite and Solomon in this song, the purpose in a man's heart is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. No relationship should be shallow. Every follower of Christ ought to be growing. And every person, including men, ought to be learning to share the deepest part of who they are. Because communication at its core is not just the exchange of information. It's revealing fears. It's sharing deep longings and hidden secrets. There's a playfulness. There's a friendship. And there's this unfolding song. Not every relationship, in fact, no relationship will be perpetually an 80s love ballad. You'll have some rap battles. You'll have some blues. You'll have some he, she, done me wrong country songs, right? But what I love about this is they're staying at it. The soundtrack's going to change. 21 years. Soundtrack is changing. And as much as I loved all those years ago falling in love, you know what put me over the edge to pursue her? She got up one night and she sang a song. She didn't, nothing from Song of Solomon. That would be too, too soon. But she sang, set me free, why don't you, babe? Get out of my life. You just keep me hanging on. 
It was at this karaoke bar. And I remember thinking, I'm, I like that. She's beautiful and she's talented and I think she's tired of me flirting with her. And she wants me to step up to the plate and pursue her. And the soundtrack has changed and it will change. It's what I love about the song of songs. Let's not seal it off and act like it isn't, isn't there. Let's not clean it up, sweep it under the rug. Let's learn from it. We'll get a little deeper and a little more raw in these next, um, next couple of weeks. Would you pray with me?